Welcome to the Modern Work Podcast. I'm Katherine Conaway, and I talk to people about the work they do and how they got there. Hi. Hey. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Would you like to introduce yourself? My name is Laura Hansen, and I am a freelance graphic designer. I'm constantly fascinated by the stories I hear from the people I meet while I travel the world working remotely. So I decided to sit them down and press record. Baja Design is the company that I started about four years ago. Love it, every minute of it. Laura is also one of the many interviews I've done with somebody in my remote year group. So we've been traveling together for a year. And you're actually, your hometown is Greensboro, North Carolina, where my dad and stepmom recently moved to a couple years ago. So now we have mutual family home. Yeah. But you're also kind of from New York because you were living yeah. there for how many years before you came on remote year? For about four years. Yeah. I've lived all over. I went to school in Savannah, Georgia at SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design. And then after college, I moved to Dallas. That's where I mostly worked in advertising there and for like three or four years. And then I moved to New York, worked in advertising and then said, no, nope. <laughs> don't want to do this anymore. Because um, in New York, advertising there, you know, you go, like, that's the reason why I went there to New York, right? It's like you you have this idea that it's just this marketing, advertising, creative mecca. And it is. It very much is. But my experience, I was working 70 hours a week minimum and uh, just got tired of it, so tired of it. And, yeah, that's why I went freelance. But, yeah, so I've lived in New York and love it, miss it for sure. And I'm but moving. you're moving, yeah, <laughs> not but to New York, not to New York, yeah. Uh, moving to Columbus, Ohio, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, yeah, my girlfriend got a job there, and so we're gonna check it out. We're gonna check out Columbus. Uh, I've never actually been there. It's kind of one of those cities that a lot of people have said is. Uh, what Austin was 10 years ago. It's what Portland was 15 years ago. It's just like on this cusp of being something really great mm-hmm. from a creative and like booming city standpoint. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to get on the ground floor of that and get into the artist community, you know, right as it's like really, really starting to pick up. So to kind of rewind through all of that, which we'll cover, You mentioned that you grew up in Greensboro and then went off to SCAD. Like, what was that process of getting, like, what were you doing in high school? How did you get exposed to the point that you said, I'm going to go to design school for college? Actually, I was very lucky to kind of know that I wanted to do design from a very young age. Um, The high school that I went to had, like, an auxiliary school called Weaver Academy that only focused on the arts. How did you know, like, what was this early age where you were like, yeah, I'm yeah. doing creative design work? Well, so as a kid, I don't know if, if you remember MS Paint. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> MS Paint, we had it on our family computer, and my parents had to literally pry my fingers away from the computer. Like, I loved sitting and working with MS Paint, like, painting and creating things like I did a whole floor plan of our house with with MS Paint which was <laughs> not easy to work with you know it was basically like add pixel subtract pixel like that's <laughs> the extent of what it was so I yeah I mean I my parents saw that in me and they said 
um, man, she really likes to like work on computers and like, especially create on computers. Um, and I was always artistic from a young age. I would draw letters and um, draw pictures and all that stuff. So actually being able to do it on a computer was just so cool. Um, and so when, when I was in high school, when I was picking my, uh, what do you call them? Electives? Electives, yeah. Or like, yeah, elective courses. Um, my dad found that they had a communication arts class at this Weaver Academy. And he said, you know, we should go over there and just talk to the teacher and see, you know, what's it about. And um, so the way that this school worked was you could go to this school, this other school. It was in downtown Greensboro. And all, all the all of the schools in our county could take a class, an elective class at this one school. And they would match it with like uh, like an English class or a math class, just so you, were, you weren't driving there for one class and then having to drive all the way back. Okay. So... Um, so yeah, that's so that's what I did. I drove to this um, to the school, took a communication arts class, um, and then took another English class, and then drove back to my high school, Grimsley High School, and would I did that for three years. I took three years of this communication arts class, and that really gave me the the jump on on a lot of students. That's I learned Illustrator, I learned Photoshop, I learned wow. InDesign, like as a 16 year old, you know? So by the time I got to college, I had this huge leg up um, because I already knew the programs. So doing this class, like going to this class, the, the, really the professor is what, the teacher that I had was what made it so exciting. He was tough, but he taught us these programs and he taught us how to think in a more creative, like design way because it was a communication art class. So he would, it was cool. He would bring in, like local businesses and we would design a logo for them for free. And it was like a competition in the class and you know, they weren't great logos. Yeah. We were just learning the programs, but it was, it was a chance to like, to be fair, neither are most small business logos. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> you see a lot of things yeah. like what? Yeah. <laughs> so but, why not? <laughs> yeah. But, it, but we got to like learn the whole like process of dealing with a client. Like what, okay, what are your design needs? Um, okay, like, what's the name of your company? Like, like, what do you need? Uh, how do you want your business to grow? And we took that information and, like, designed logos for them. So, like, as a 16, 17-year-old, like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And um, and I just learned right away, like, damn, I, I really like, like, really like doing this. So um, when I started the whole looking for college process, uh, I knew that that's what... Uh, I, I wanted to be maybe not design school, but like at least the art arts program, design program at a particular college. So um, what what made me choose was I'm also an athlete. I played soccer and golf and a lot of sports in high school. And I got uh, athletic scholarships at a bunch of colleges. And when I found out that SCAD had an athletics program, I was like, huh. That would be cool because they're, you know, reputable art school in the South. And um, funny enough, I actually got a golf scholarship and a soccer scholarship to SCAD and uh, decided to play Not soccer. talented at all. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I decided to play soccer there and also learn design. And really what made me choose SCAD over the other ones is when I visited those that campus, you know, walking into an art school and you see 
they had, I mean, this was 2003, right? So they had, they already had 20 Mac, brand new Mac computers in their, in their labs. And when I would go to like North Carolina schools, like Appalachian or NC state or something and see their arts department, they were still working on PCs. And I was like, Oh, this is so bad. <laughs> you know? So I was like, duh, scat. Like this yeah. is, I'm going to, we're going to get the and best Savannah's equipment. Beautiful. Savannah's beautiful. Yeah. If you, if you ever get the chance to go, I highly recommend it. It's you drive into the city and it's this immediate, like just creative vibe that you get. Cause it's an art school. Like they've taken over the whole town. Um, and it's just beautiful. There's history, there's culture. Like, uh, it was it was such a cool place to go to school. Plus, you can drink in the streets. <laughs> so that was a bonus as a college student. You're like, yeah, I'm going to drink my beer on the street. So, um, yeah, that was a bonus. But So, yeah, that w- that helped um, make that decision. But um, going back to you know, when I finally got to college, having that leg up in right. school, I already knew the programs. So where when other kids were uh, – when they were – trying to figure out how to make a shape in Illustrator, I was already beyond that point and able to concept and like bring my ideas to a next level. And they're still trying to like figure out how to get their ideas on paper, you know? So, um, so that helped. Did Um, you have any kind of particular focus or course of study that you did there? Mm -hmm. Or is it somehow some general predictated? Yeah. So they, they get like with the graphic design, um, uh, what's the word? Major. Major. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> with that major. Yes. You have, you kind of hit all of the touch points. Um, so you do like, uh, intro to graphic design where you're, you don't deal with computers at all. You're actually like hands-on designing things with paper, cutting out shapes, like all that stuff, typesetting. Um, and then that went from, uh, that to typography classes, um, where you create your own typefaces, you learn about typefaces. Uh, and then they have certain electives that you can choose from, like web design you can choose from, and branding you can choose from. One of my favorites was events and signage, like wayfinding. Oh. So you like concept not only what the signage is going to look like, but like where it's going to be placed in its location to like actually be beneficial to the user and I mean, I think of an airport, like how many terrible airport signage have we gone through throughout the world? That's like, where, where is the exit? Like, I can't just figure yeah, like, it out. <laughs> it seems like it would be so obvious, but you see so many cases yeah. of things going wrong where like we are constantly users of yeah. design and like yeah. the audience for design, whether that's like a menu or an airport or yeah. a concert or like whatever that is. And anytime something happens really intuitively, like the design was done well. And anytime mm-hmm. you're like, I'm confused, yeah. then like, you know that there has been an issue. Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. Something wasn't in the right place. Right. It wasn't in the right color. Like yeah. you just lost. Exactly. Um, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. So that was one of my favorite classes. So, but I think I, um, and I took an advertising class and I think that class was more like copywriting focus, which I'm not good with words or math. So <laughs> I'm more of a colors and shapes kind of girl, but um, at, I should have known then that like I wasn't I didn't really like advertising in the sense of like coming up with copy like meaningful copy I'm just not that good at it I'm more I'm better at uh taking that concept and like bringing it to life from a visual standpoint right but um anyway so they give you like a full range of options and 
I actually, motion graphics was my minor and I decided not to like actually finish it because it was just too much time. But, you know, it, it went even so far as like learning about how to animate things from, you know, with, with your graphic design. So was that more uh, <clears throat> After Effects, like 2D animation? Yeah, After okay. Effects. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and I, then when you were in college, were you doing any like side jobs or internships? What was that experience mm-hmm. like for you? Um, well, doing soccer, I didn't have a ton of time for internships. I did one at the end. Well, like during my summer breaks. Yeah, I guess yeah. I did, would do internships. I did one in Greensboro at a small design studio. That was great. And you just found that because it yeah. was at home and you looked around. Yeah, yeah. And um, they were very nice. I mostly spent my time like organizing files <laughs> like on their server and just making sure files were in the right place, which was really actually more beneficial than you think because you like being organized as a designer is really really important yeah Um, making sure that your files in the right place and the links match up and all this stuff Um, I remember my first job in a design studio they actually had a pretty good organizational system and so we'd have like template folders and Mm. and so like zero was references and one was inspiration and two was like initial sketches and three was identity and four was photos. It's yeah. like each thing had a thing and like you might not put anything in half the folders based on the project, right. but it was already there. And then each person that worked like each designer or whoever would have a folder with their initials inside of each uh, folder. Cool. And so no matter what was happening, if people followed <laughs> the template, yeah. like you're like, okay, like, you know, Andrew is my designer, and so I'm going to go to this folder, and there are all of his files. Yeah. And I'm like, great. That's awesome. And um, everything you need is in one place. Yeah, and right. then if there was a project where it wasn't, or, like, a client brought in a, a drive, and you're just like, oh, my God, yeah. like, this is terrible. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it, like, it really can slow down the process. Yeah. Like, you lose files. Like, it, it does seem really inane and, and boring, but I think... I think people sometimes are like, wow, I'm a creative. I'm not organized. Right. Sometimes that's cool, but maybe every once in a while, like, yeah. <laughs> restructure it a little. Yeah. Yeah, I'm super organized. Jessie makes fun of me all the time. She looks at, I look at her desktop, it's like covered in stuff. And I look, she looks at mine, and there's like two things. And yeah. Everything's in like nice little folders. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you're the project manager. What's yeah. going on? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Um, so you had this uh, internship at the design studio in Greensboro one summer, and I had, then... I had one in Atlanta one summer, and it was an agency that uh, a family friend's company had used, and so they knew they had an inn or something. So I went down there, stayed with a friend just for, like, a couple weeks and inter- interned there, and they let me do some, like, smaller projects, which was really cool. Um, but overall, like, the... You know, I got really great feedback. Um, I had uh, some really good mentors there. Uh, everyone was super nice. No one was kind of. No one was a jerk. At SCAD, a jerk at SCAD, but at um, at the internships as oh, well. Okay. Yeah. So and being in those like creative environments made me like just solidified the fact that like yes, this is the career path that I want to be in. Like I want to be in in smaller studios I want to be in a creative working environment um because like people people there are just cool you know uh yeah you're gonna get a jerk here and there but like overall people are nice they're fun to work with and um I knew that that's what I wanted to do so yeah yeah 
Very cool. So by the time you graduated then, <clears throat> did you know what was coming next or, or how did you figure out the, the step after graduation? So, yeah. So after <laughs> graduating, I graduated college in 2008, which was like the height of the recession. <laughs> Perfect timing to graduate and look for jobs. So <clears throat> after graduating, my friend, my roommate in college and I, who's also a designer, we had this grand idea to go to Denver. We really wanted to go to Denver and look for jobs and live in Denver. So we went there one summer. She had an aunt and uncle that we could stay with. We went there and everyone that we talked to, we got a lot of face-to-face time with, with agencies and design studios. And everyone we talked to was just like, man, we love your stuff. You're really talented, but we can, we are just not hiring right now. <laughs> yeah. Like with at least five people we talked to, it was so frustrating. And so it was getting to be crunch time. The end of the summer, didn't have a job at yet. <clears throat> I was ready to just move back home to Greensboro and figure things out from there. Um, Haley was about to do the same and, and she got lucky enough. She got a job at an architecture firm doing design in Dallas, Texas. And she's from Oklahoma City, so she knew Dallas pretty well. I'd never been. And and I was just like, oh, great. Well, what am I going to do? And she's like, well, here's the thing. They're setting me up in a hotel room for a whole month until I f- find a place to live. Why don't you just come and just hang out, look for jobs here. If you find something, great. If not, you just wasted a month. You're like You have a free place to stay. Right. So I was like, okay, it couldn't hurt. So I go there and within a week I had three interviews lined up and within another week I had a job. And it's so funny because I grew up in Fort Worth and I have no, I mean, I know Dallas is like a bigger city and it mm -hmm. definitely has that city vibe, but never would I've said, oh, like a job in advertising, like go to Dallas. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And that's why it was totally off our radar as well. Yeah. Um, but for some reason, Dallas was in this weird bubble. Like, it hadn't really been hit by the recession. I don't know if it, if it's just because they have a lot of corp- other corporate corporate headquarters for other brands that are there or, like, near Fort Worth or Arlington. Um, if, if they just were protected from this recession, who knows? But all I know is a lot of places were still hiring, and that's just where we ended up. Yeah. Um, and I got a job at this huge agency called TPN. Um, and they did retail marketing, which I'd never really gotten into uh, or knew much about until I got there. And, it, you know, retail marketing is the stuff that you see in store. It's like the posters you see or like a promotion at, at 7-Eleven. Like anytime 7-Eleven has like their vote with their Slurpee competition or like what's pick a new Slurpee flavor competition. Uh, That's all the signage and even down to like the new cups, that's all retail marketing. Okay. And so I would naturally you'd have to have designers making all like all this invisible stuff. We're like, yeah, well it's just this new cup, like whatever, but somebody has to do it. Somebody has to concept the promotion has to concept like what the poster is going to be or what the interior of a store, like how that will affect the interior look of a store, like, and design, all those things. I mean, we even did, um, the count that I worked on was Gatorade, and we we did, like, those, like, cardboard pop-up stands mm. that held the shelves that the bottles would be, like, resting on when you walked into, like, a 7-Eleven or some convenience store or Walmart, Um 
So it was even as simple as that, which is like slap a logo on the side of this corrugated box thing. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, it was cool and it was interesting. And uh, I was a small junior art director in this cog of a giant company. <laughs> um, so you, so know, you came on as an art director, not a designer. Correct. What is that differentiation? Um, <clears throat> for them... There really wasn't. Art, art director and designer were one and the same. Um, it, I guess it just meant that we got to be involved in, like, the concepting phase more so than just, like, here's this, do it, like a right. workhorse. So that was cool. Um, and I guess I, it was great because I learned, I learned right away the intricacies of, like, a huge corporate agency. I mean, they were an Omnicom agency, and they had – creative director, senior director, group creative director. And we had offices all over the U.S. I got to go to Chicago and see that, like work with teams there. Um, so as a young designer, that was cool. Like, you know, they had like a, they had a chef come in and cook for us every day. They had a masseuse come in uh, every Thursday, you know, <laughs> telling your parents that you got, got to work at this agency where they have all these perks like, they think that's super cool. Yeah. Um, and it was. It really was. But I quickly learned that, like, I wasn't going to go anywhere very quickly. Right. Um, with so many people at an, at an agency like that, you kind of get lost in the shuffle no matter how hard you work or, like, how talented you are. You kind of get, like, forgotten about. Um, and it takes a long time for you to move up or get promoted. I think the biggest lesson for me was um, was I would look at my superior, my the art director that I was working under, and she had been working there for five years. She was a great person, like super talented, uh, was a great mentor to me. But seeing that she had only moved up one step in like six years, I was like, oh, I don't want to do this for six years and only move up one step, you know? Yeah. I, and and then seeing her superior like had been there for twelve years and I was just like geez I do not want to. I think that was my that biggest long. lesson in my studio in Brooklyn was was you know working sixty hours a week yeah. and, like entry level and even after getting promoted still just like working a ton not making a lot of money and production was something that I was interested in and good at but it wasn't something I like just always dreamed of mm -hmm. like it was very it's very much kind of a job for me. Um, and looking at like the head of production or a senior producer and some of it kind of just being like, I don't know that this mm. is what I am dreaming of. Like in 10 years, if I'm sitting at that end of this table, right. am I really going to feel like that 10 years was worth it? Like right. some of the freelance producers I thought had a little bit more of an interesting setup because they would move around to different studios and work on different projects and kind of have like different roles. Um, but that like track, even at a small studio, that track of like, this is how you're going to move forward and this is the role you're going to take on. You're like, yeah. I, I don't know. I think when you're early in your career, like you really got to start paying attention to the people above you right. and say like, is this where I'm trying to go? If right. not, like I got to get in line for something else. Right. <laughs> like, Absolutely. And that's what I realized. I just, it's not, it wasn't something that I wanted to do. And and the company that I worked for, they were great. Like, I'm sure you're the studio in Brooklyn you worked at. They were great people, nice people. I yeah. learned a lot. But in the end, it was not, I had, when I really thought hard about it, it was not somewhere that I wanted to end up. 
You know? Right. It's like it's a huge investment of your time and energy and, and skills. And even if it's good people and a good place, like you still want to feel like it's worth it. And, and I've had other jobs that match with that more. And so I'm like, you know, it, I have the privilege of being able to, you know, potentially make some of those choices. Like what choices can I make? Right. Like what can I make happen for myself? Right. Um, so you, it sounds like you then began to make that choice. Yeah. So <laughs> a little over a year later, um, I had a small agency in Dallas, uh, kind of poach me. Um, they had, were just starting out. They maybe had like six employees and they had this big client that they needed help on. And it was Samsung mobile. And so they, I hopped on board and they, they struggled. I mean, we struggled for a long time, not a long time, but for a little bit. And, but I loved being a part of that where I got to wear many hats. I was the designer. I like helped fill the coffee pot. I, um, you know, was in the like brainstorming room when we were coming up with these great concepts for Samsung mobile. I mean, yeah, it was so awesome. (laughs) Um, and got to go to the client meetings at Samsung's headquarters and um, meet this chief marketing officer. And as you know, I was 23 years old, I mean, that was so cool. And I loved being on the ground floor of a company like that. And I was there for about three years. And by the time I left, we it went from, I was I think I was the eighth employee and they had grown to something like 30 employees. Mm. So seeing that growth and seeing what was like how to be successful was super beneficial to me as a artist. Um, and, and as a business person, right. And you see like a lot of designers get caught up in like, well, I'm the designer and this is my role when really you got to think about things from more of a business standpoint and see and learn that like, you know, Samsung Mobile's marketing team is trying to hit this goal. How can we re- help them reach this goal? Right. And not just make something look pretty. Right. Because there's there's a balance there, right? Like you learn that, um, yeah, you can make anything look cool, but if it doesn't meet their needs, then it's right. totally pointless. You right. Know? So. Yeah, I feel like often, you know, I the creatives, the creative team would get together and just kind of like go off the deep end and Mm. and think of some like amazing like incredible experience and people are going to walk away being like wow but other than wow like what happens right like so people think something looks nice or they're really impressed or whatever like yeah maybe if you're just trying to get them to like instagram and tag it and like great you've met your objective but if there's something else that's supposed to happen from that if they're supposed to subscribe to an email or purchase a product or whatever like you really have to make sure that that cool thing leads to the outcome that that, that client has hired you Absolutely. for, um, yeah. which can be hard. And I understand why creative people who like doing creative, beautiful things struggle with that. Mm. But like, there's a reason you're getting paid for the, for the work. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, also understanding budgets, like understanding where the client's coming from, coming from and knowing that they have a budget and, yeah, you can pitch the coolest idea. Like you could per- pitch virtual reality with your, you know, through your fingertips or whatever. Some crazy <laughs> weird thing is out there now. But if they can't afford it, then there's that's not the point. Like you're missing right. the point. Right. So um, 
Just, you, you are just music to client ears right now. <laughs> like, like having, and it's true. Like if you, if you're a creative and you want to say like, how do I differentiate myself? How do I make myself valuable to mm. a client, especially as a freelancer? Mm. If, if a creative can come in and say, I understand your budget, I mm-hmm. understand your business objectives and I can make something that is going to work with that. And I can make something that will look good for what you can pay. Like, God, like what client doesn't want to hear right, that? Like, exactly. You know, like you're like, I want to work with this person and yeah. not like somebody who has no idea what I'm trying to do. Right. And I would have never learned that if I hadn't have been at this smaller agency, like literally the ground floor wearing so many hats and actually seeing what the budgets were. You know, I right. would have never learned that. Yeah, because, you know, and it's understandable, but usually on creative teams, you have the all of the creatives and then you have the producer and other people who are negotiating the budgets and talking about money and we as a rule like the servers were separate everything the conversations were separate like our designers had no idea Mm. how much things cost they just knew either their billable rate to us Mm. as a freelancer or their salary and so to them to spend oh well you know i just spent 27 hours on this and the producers over there crying (laughs) you know they have no sense of like why that would be an issue or why we're so stressed about a deadline Mm -hmm. um and it can be really valuable. Yeah. I was there for about three years, and I, I think it wasn't the company that I left or wanted to leave. It was Dallas as a city. I, You know, I really I enjoyed Dallas, and I made a lot of great friends there, and I obviously loved my job. But I just, it, I don't know. It's hard to put a finger on, like, what it was. Just, it's just not as good as Fort Worth. And <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I just didn't like Dallas as a yeah. city. And I think, honestly, I think one of the main reasons was coming from North Carolina, where the beach was an hour away or two hours away and the mountains were an hour away. Like having that like natural escape was important to me and it, more important than I realized. And in Dallas, you could drive for five hours <laughs> and not be in, in, in anywhere cool <laughs> sorry no offense to texas but no texas is huge like you, you drive forever and you're yeah. still in the same state yeah like, what just happened it makes you pull your hair out exactly <laughs> so i had just started to get this itch and i also had really always wanted to live in new york it's something i'd always wanted to do um i love new york i'd i'd, I'd gone a lot as a kid with my family and um with friends through college and stuff and one of my best, some of my best friends in Dallas had just moved there. So it's like, oh, I should go. They're there. They're so fun. So I ended up moving there. I got a job at another small agency called Pie Advertising. Um, again, I was probably like the fifth employee and I was really excited to like help this company <laughs> grow. And uh, within two months, they got bought by a big honking agency (laughs) dun 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 yeah (laughs) called brand connections and yeah such a cool name so much enthusiasm yeah and and it was it was fine we got to work on some really great brands um and they were they were more of a event uh agency so they handled a lot of cool events which was really interesting to learn um like what's an example like um Garnier. If Garnier came out with a new two-in-one shampoo for men, they would uh, or- organize a national 
traveling event that would promote this new product, right? So they would go to festivals or they would like just go on the street corner in New York City or at the park in Los Angeles and they would set up a tent or whatever it was, whatever their budget was, and they would hand out free samples. Maybe we would do like some sort of testing thing where they'd have like a, like a sink and people could get their hair washed for free, like right then and there. Um, whatever the product was, like we would come up with something interesting to help promote that new product. Um, like we even went so far as to LG was one of our clients and they had this new um, cell phone that they were promoting. Was it the Razor? <laughs> no, God. <laughs> no, I can't remember what it was called. It was the LG. Like a smartphone. Yeah, kind of a new okay. smartphone. And we planned um, this traveling um, event space that went to all of the ski, res- ski resorts. And we created this tent, this 20 by 40 tent oh, wow. that mim- that looked like a, it would set, it was set up to look like a Swiss, Swiss chalet kind of thing, like really fancy. And all of the LG products were inside, like the really fancy um, stovetop and fridge. And so it was like a whole LG house kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it would like, we would pack it up and move it to another ski resort and pack it up, move it to another one. And though we would promote this phone for them, and um, and the idea is you just went and hung out in this really cool. Yeah, you could go in, um, play with the phone. Uh, we pitched this like uh, gamification element to it, where people could earn points and like win this the ski jump onto this big giant air blob kind of thing. If they checked in to certain places, it was kind of complicated, but. Um, yeah, it was just an idea to like create this presence at a ski resort where people, when they're tired to go sit Mm. and just be immersed in LG products kind of thing. Um, so like big events, like super cool event spaces that we came up with big budgets. Um, and I learned a ton. I got promoted to associate creative director there. Um, so then what's a creative director versus... The art director. Role. So, yeah. So usually it goes like uh, art director, senior art director, associate creative director, creative director. And then it goes like group, you know, depending on how big the agency is. So I was under, I wasn't quite a creative director. I was like under, mm-hmm. um, but I still had a whole team that I had, was in charge of, um, had my own art directors that I was like managing and is there – what's the difference between creative direction and art direction? Um, creative – so creative direction is similar to art direction. It's just you are less hands-on. You are more directing the art directors to bring the pieces to life. Um, and as a creative director, you're not only just in charge of the art, but you're in charge of making sure that the copyright, copywriters are on brand – that the messaging is, is on point, you know, you talk directly to clients right. and uh, make sure that, you know, that their needs are being met, et cetera. So it's the whole creative concept of whatever the brand or project is right. in a big picture way, right. including anything that's creative, which mm-hmm. could be more technical. It could be the writing. It could be graphic animation, video, photography, whatever. Right. And then art directors much more focused on a visual right. only. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so that was great. You know, as a 27-year-old, as an 
hitting that creative director role was like, wow, I've made it. I'm in New York City. I'm in a creative director role, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, that's really cool. Yeah, and it was great, but I quickly learned that that's not what I wanted to do. I, I, you know, you, I learned that I was doing less of designing, which is what I love and I'm passionate about, and I was on the phone more, and I was answering emails more, and I was in meetings more, and that just wasn't fun. It wasn't fun to me anymore, and there was more pressure, which I'm okay with pressure, but, you know, when a client's screaming in your ear for the fifth time about some mundane detail, you're just like, I don't want to, like, this is not what I want to do. <laughs> I was, I was talking to Martin about this in a, in a separate interview and he's, uh, I don't remember exactly his title now. It's like lead developer, software engineer or something like that. And he's he like saying, a VP or something. Yeah, yeah. He's pretty high up at what he was saying is that what's really nice about Rackspace, the company he's at is that they have promotion tracks for technical roles where you continue to do the technical thing that you mm. were doing. And one of the big problems with like developers and engineers and other stuff is that you're, you know, oh, you're a great coder or programmer or whatever. But when you get promoted, you're now a manager of people. Right. And like your skill set that made you so good is, yeah, you understand what they're doing, but developers and coders don't necessarily want to manage people. Like they don't necessarily want to be put into like that hierarchy. So like how do you move people ahead? Right but still getting to do the skills that they want to do. So like as a designer, how do you move ahead? How do you have a career path that is rewarding your skills and experience without moving you away from that thing that you want to do, right. which is the design. Right. Um, so I understand how that can be a really frustrating uh, like aspect of the like corporate right. trajectory because you're, you're kind of expected to move forward in a right. career. Like it's, it's weird if you want to say, I'm going to stay a developer. I'm just going to stay a designer. Mm -hmm. Like that's not really the way things work. Right. Yeah. And that was the tough part because on one hand, I'm, I've reached this amazing goal of being an associate creative director, this title, this you know, mundane title, but like, and that was exciting. But then on the other hand, I'm not designing anymore. So right. I, I, I'm, yeah, it was just, it was really hard uh, mentally to kind of like, it was a battle. It really was a battle because I loved where I had, how far I had gotten, but I didn't love what I was doing. Right. You know? Right. So, uh, so yeah, that was tough. And I also think the company that you work for helps a lot. And because I had was working for this new company, they had merged with like three other companies and there was just so much new and weird things going on. Like clients were merging, brands were merging. You know, you had a whole new team of people you barely knew. We were in a brand new office. Um, a lot of growing pain. A lot of growing pains, yeah. And it was, that was another struggle on top of it. And to, to be honest, they, it was, they were a sales focused company. And so they had these sales mem team members that would just say yes. Mm -hmm. And so we were just overworked. I mean, they, they would say yes without knowing that we just didn't have enough manpower to complete some of these tasks. And so then clients would get upset and then they would come yell at me. And I was just like, well, the real solution is to hire like 10 more people <laughs> so we can get this stuff done. And, but they were so sales and money focused and hitting their sales goals that, 
they, they just never did. And, and so if I had worked for a different company, it may have been different. I may have been like, yeah, I love being a, a creative director because I have the support from my higher up, higher ups. Whereas in this particular company, there was just so many growing pains that they, people were just, they didn't want to lose their job because they got bought out. You know, it was just so difficult, such a weird time. Um, so yeah, who knows, who knows how it would have been, but my solution was <laughs> to quit my job <laughs> and, uh, go on a road trip for three months solo and just kind of like reset. And Where did you go? I went around the U S. Um, I went, oh my God, all over the place. Uh, I went, just like visiting friends and family yeah, basically. Yeah. For three, it was kind of cool. Three months, um, I went up the Midwest, up across the North, um, down the West Coast, um, through the Southwest a little bit, and then back over East. Um, and for the three months that I was there, I think I only had to get like three hotel rooms the whole time. Like I knew someone somewhere that mm-hmm. I could crash on their couch. Mm-hmm. So that helped save money, but it was great. I got I got re-energized. I got re-inspired. I visited a lot of my college friends from art school and saw what they were working on and just got re-inspired. And I think that's one thing about travel, um, whatever industry you're in, but if you're in something creative, I think in particular, but, but really anything, because when you travel, you tend to spend your time doing things that you're really excited about or curious about mm-hmm. and interested in. Um, and if you're visiting people that you're connected to, like probably there's some overlap of like common interests or experience. And so I've definitely found in traveling, like seeing what other people are doing, like that can be so informative to be like, oh, this is your job or this is how you're doing or mm-hmm. the projects that you're working on. Um, this is the lifestyle that you have in this place. Like right. that's a super helpful reference point to yeah. have. Um, and if you know, if you're going to like national parks all the time or museums or music festivals, like whatever it is that like you're curious about, like that can be so inspiring. That can like re-energize you, like you're saying. And sometimes like that can even like feed back into your work. Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes taking like finding a way to save up and and get a solution where you can afford to take several months to travel and do something, whether it's near where you live or around the world, um, actually I think can be really productive professionally because it helps you get that like a lot of insights, a lot of inspiration and a better focus of, okay, this is what I'm going to come back and do. And this is how I want to be structuring my time and my work. Um, and it doesn't just have to be like, woo, I'm on vacation. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. And the thing, the thing that I learned from my trip, that, that one particular trip was that I enjoyed the freedom and I knew that I could work from anywhere. So I was like, what I need to do freelance. What am I thinking? Like, I can literally work anywhere I want. I can go visit friends whenever I want. I'm not, I don't have to be tied to a desk. What, um, did you, were you working at all on that trip? I was doing a little bit of work. Okay. Um, not a ton. I wanted to just kind of mm-hmm. reset, but I learned that it would, it was easy to be mobile and have the freedom that I wanted. And on my downtime, I was like, oh, I could be working right now, you know? Mm. Um, so that's when I decided that's what I, I wanted to try it out. So I moved back to New York um, and just because I had a lot of the, my, a lot of my clients were there um, and started doing freelance. How did you build up a freelance career? Because it sounds like you didn't really have it started when you quit. Yeah, I had a couple small clients 
uh, not enough to really write home about, but um, to even like admit on my tax forms, like it wasn't anything special. Um, but when I quit, I honestly, the, the only thing that I really did was I you know, updated my website, um, updated my resume and portfolio like book and um, sent out a mass email to like literally everyone I knew. Um, not just professionally, but like personally as well. Uh, because I got a lot of clients from an aunt's neighbor who needed a logo for her son's whatever, you know? Yeah. Or, um, or you know, a cousin of mine worked for an agency that I didn't even know had, did that, you know? So uh, I got a lot of clients from that sense. And um, it yeah, was... Yeah, I think sometimes we forget that the people in our network... Like, yeah, of course, the obvious ones that do what you're doing or work somewhere you want to work, like, those are really helpful. Right. But you don't know who your mom's friend knows or, exactly. like, this other person that's in your life. Like, they have friends. They right. know things. Right. And, like, they may need the service that you are offering. Yeah. And, like, I've had a couple, like, side gigs sometimes just come from, like, catching up with somebody mm. from home, like a friend of my parents or something like that. I'm yeah. just kind of, like... Oh, what are you doing these days? Oh, I, you know, I'm blah, blah, blah. And then the next thing I know, they're like, you know, I'm so interested in that. Like, I don't know anything about that. Like, can, can I talk to you more? Like, can right. you help me? And it's just some little thing. And half the time you kind of do it for free. Right. But, but it gets the conversation started to be like, man, like, I didn't even realize I probably could get a bunch of clients in my hometown or something. Right. Like, right. oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened. I just um, e even... I had a lot of my old colleagues that uh, didn't still work for those old companies. They had moved on to a different company. They're like, oh, we need freelancers. Oh, you know. So you, you like, yeah, certain, they come from totally unexpected places. And um, some of them are short. Some of them have, you know, I still have them three years later. So, um, yeah, it just kind of slowly but surely picked up. I... Would, I had a few clients here and there. I actually did some freelance for my old company, um, which paid a lot of money, which helped really kick things off. I got lucky in that situation. but I think uh, that happens, though. I think, like, if you're leaving on good terms, yeah. and if, if you're not, like, I mean, you can leave on good terms and go get a, a job at, like, a competitor, and it can still be fine. But if you're leaving just because you're like, this isn't what I want to do anymore, and I'm going to freelance or mm -hmm. something... Like, it's no harm to them right. to, like, book you a little bit right. I already know the brands. I know the clients. Yeah. yeah. So it's, like, and plus, like, I think one of the benefits of freelance people forget, and there's a whole other conversation to talk about what rates are appropriate and how that money is very different than a salary mm -hmm. in terms of, oh, my hourly value is $80 an hour. Like, sounds crazy, but yeah. maybe that totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, but even that, like... It's so much more affordable sometimes for people to hire you for, like, what they need. Or, like, okay, I just need, like, five hours a week. Or I need this one project right. for two weeks. Um, because a lot of times people don't need a, a new full-time hire. Exactly. So you'd never get a job with them. But, yeah. like, they can hire you contract. Right. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, this is something I can swallow. I can wrap my head around $500. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's what a lot of my clients are. They're... They just send me projects when they need projects, and then I bill them at the end of the month. And I'm sure on their end, they have a freelancer budget of, you know, X amount of dollars. And if I go over that, they're like, okay, maybe we don't send her that much next month. But, like, 
yeah, I mean, it's cheaper than hiring a whole new person. And if, if I accumulate three or four of those clients, then I am basically at the same salary that I was when I left uh, my New York job. So it all kind of evens out and I get the variety that I, that some designers need, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. And even at a full-time job, like sometimes it is still like feast and famine and but but when you're on salary, you're still sitting at the desk. Yeah. Like whether you had a 80 hour week the week before and a 20 hour week this week, you're just sitting there the whole time. Right. When right. you're freelance, you feel that heat a little bit yeah. more of like, wow, I don't have any client work this week. Yeah. <laughs> but then you get the freedom of like, all right, well, I don't have any working on any cash flow right now, but like I got some time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's what you learn. You learn that um, you you learn the value of your time. You mm-hmm. learn that like. Uh, actually working for an hour equals money. Like time is money. Like yeah. that's what you learn. Whereas when on a salary job, you you don't feel as uh like you're making as big of an impact because you could. You're right. You could just be sitting there and doing nothing, and you're getting paid what you're yeah. gonna get paid no matter what. So yeah. Um, and if it takes you four hours to do something because you're g chatting, like whatever. But right. when you're when you're billing a client hourly, you know I think people have a like a increased sense of responsibility to say like when I'm working on this I'm not going to do anything else Mm -hmm. and it really helps you get a sense of how long does it take me to do this Mm because you've got to budget and scope your time you've got to pitch something to somebody and say yeah I can do that for you in two hours right well if you say two hours and it's four like you just lost money exactly and like if you say two hours and it's one like you're kind of ripping them off yeah Yeah. you've got to get get accurate yeah 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 you learn a lot about about that stuff you also learn about how to nip clients in the butt like you say i can do this in two hours with only two rounds of revisions right if you're if my revisions go beyond two then yeah i'm gonna go above two hours you know um and a lot of people don't like a lot of clients like well you went over budget it's like well you had six rounds of revisions right you know and you and that's a big part of like the project management that as a creative freelancer now you're responsible for which is saying like hi guys, like, here's the thing. Like, this is round one of the revisions. Mm-hmm. And then like, okay, that's the second round. Do you want me to continue? Right. Can I deliver? Like you have to figure out how to have those conversations and, you know, make the invoice, send the invoice, make sure the invoice gets paid. Right. Um, and those are all the hours that you don't get paid for because no one's going to pay you to bill them. Right. <laughs> so like that's part of the reason that rate's higher is right. because for every, you know, two hours of client work, you have, another hour of project management. Right. Um, And we've talked about this before, dealing with clients who have low budgets but want the world of options. Always. (laughs) And, yeah, that's one another thing I've learned to say is, okay, you need a logo, right? Oh, your budget's $200. Well, that's, you know, technically around two hours worth of my time. So we can either – I can give you one option for a logo because that's probably how long it's going to take – or you can up your budget. I can give you two options. Like we can, you, you gotta finagle the the options situation depending on their budget. And um, a lot of clients don't like to hear that, but they have to understand that like time, my time is valuable, and that's what I'm gonna offer. You know. Right. And learning how to figure out like what are the packages and offers that you are gonna make a client and. And how are you going to have those conversations? And how are you not going to have that conversation for weeks? Because, right. oh, my God, like, I'm currently dealing with a client. We just cannot get signed off. Like, mm-hmm. I've sent, like, eight emails being like, here's the scope attached as a quote. Like, 
do you do you want these deliverables? Like, mm-hmm. is this bottom line okay? Right. She's like, yeah, 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 let's get started. I'm like, nope, really want to make sure that you've read this. Yeah. <laughs> I really, really need to agree on this. Yeah. Um, and it's it's really hard because, like, what do you do? Like, you get to the point that you tell the client, like, I'm sorry, I just, I literally cannot work with you. Mm-hmm. Or, but, like, you want the income. You want the, right. you want the sign-off. Um, and I think, like, that's something people have to think about when they're thinking freelance or or a full-time job is that how much are you willing to be responsible for? Like how many of those conversations are you willing to have? Cause right. you're going to, somebody has to do them. And now you're the business owner. You're right. the one that's got to do it. Right. Um, and if, but if you can manage it, like you said, you, you love doing freelance work. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you've made those adjustments to have some of those conversations um, and having recurring clients means you get to do more of the creative work and less of the conversations, right. which right. I think is another thing. If people can figure out like, yeah, c- can you find ways of working people where you don't have to constantly have new clients doing new things? Like, do they need recurring stuff? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, like what, w- what are they going to need next month? Right. Can you do that for them? Right. Cause that's money you don't have to fight for. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And going back to like dealing with the, invoicing and you know the admin stuff having that experience of the associate creative creative director role as terrible as it was I learned those skills in that role so if I hadn't have been in that position I probably would have struggled more with freelance um, because I was I learned how to negotiate with clients I learned how to see what this like put together a whole pitch deck put together a scope of work um, and those were things i didn't know before that so um yeah it's just interesting how like each step of my career has like given me a leg up for the next step um but yeah so now you're freelancing and that's that's the foreseeable future yeah and what kind of work do you typically do now I do a lot of different things and I think that's the That is the selling point for Laha Design is I have literally dabbled in almost every aspect of marketing (laughs) and advertising. I can do print. I can do web. um, I have a team that can do motion graphics. um, Just people you refer out. Yeah, vendors that I use. um, But I I manage them so that the client doesn't have to worry about it. I see. Um, And I do logos branding I do uh, most of what I do recently is uh, b2b PowerPoint presentations collateral uh, flyers um, ebooks that sort of thing just any kind of informational documentation that um, clients need to help sell their themselves or their product so uh, yeah I think that's why clients come to me is they I'm not just like a one one niche shop they mm-hmm. can if they need a logo if they need an icon if they need a website for that logo and icon who knows I can somehow put it together right um and I'm quick I like I said learn I've learned these programs since I was 16 it's like half my life I've been dealing with photoshop illustrator like all of the creative suite and so I'm pretty quick and the clients appreciate that it doesn't take me a week to make a revision I can do it in like 15 minutes mm-hmm. you know um which is kind of hurts me because you know that's 15 minutes of my of my billable time but if I get more revisions in in a short amount of time then it, it all evens out but um 
Yeah. yeah. So you mostly have a lot of recurring clients now. Yeah. And then, so each month you kind of just, they'll show you what that is. You kind of plan out when you're going to do your work. Mm-hmm. Um, how many hours a week do you feel like you tend to be doing like design work and how many hours a week are you doing kind of like the other like admin overhead? Hmm. That's a good question. On average. Yeah. Um, I'd probably say I'd, <laughs> this is going to sound really bad. I probably only do like 15 to 20 hours of design work a week and then admin stuff. Not that much, maybe 10, eight to 10. Not that, not a whole lot. I mean, that's still like 23 to 30 ish hours a week. Yeah. Which if you're, if you're doing freelance work, I think, I think when I've had times I've billed 25 hours a week, like I'm slammed. Yeah. Like billing 25 hours a week means 25 hours worked. Right. Like that doesn't count going to the bathroom and going to like have lunch and like anything else. Like if you're doing 25 real hours of work, like you're probably really busy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also like if you're able to manage your projects and your rate in such a way that you can do 15 hours a week and that is sufficient for your lifestyle, Mm -hmm. like why not? (laughs) That's the benefit, right? Right. That's the dream. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cool. Very cool. And I know because I was a little minion involved in the project, but you did a wonderful job of our remote year Batuta, which is the name of our group yearbook. Yeah. um, Which was a very, very cool thing for you to do. I'm sure you spent 200 hours (laughs) on it. No, probably not that much. Maybe like a hundred. Between the icons and the layout and everything else. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I, well, either way. Yeah. It's at least 100 a hours time, of work, yeah. I think. Um, which was really cool because I we definitely got to see... We've seen your skills on a couple little things this year. You did the the painting, the mural, and the chalkboard for the Batuta thing in Kuala Lumpur in our workspace where, where they're having different groups paint things. Um, and then you have done a few other things, I feel like, but this one is really... Mm-hmm. The most hands-on, I think, a number of people have gotten to be working with you on a creative project. And it was interesting because, like, you and we were both the client and right. the ones making it, which is always kind of a cool thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was fun to work on. Um, a lot of people were like, God, I can't believe you spent so much time on it. But, like, I, I, I wanted this more than anything, you know. I wanted to have something to remember this year by. And I'm ha- I was happy to share it with everybody else. So it, it didn't seem like work to me. It was like, oh, man, this is going to be so cool to look back on 10 years from now. Yeah. Um, 10, 15 years. So, um, so it didn't, again, design does not, like when I'm designing or working, it does not feel like work at all. I'm like, when I say I'm passionate about design, I'm not kidding. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. It's like doing those icons was super fun. I would stay up to like two in the morning and Jesse would like, be just so upset like come to bed I'm like no this is fun like you don't understand <laughs> yeah so um those icons are really cool she yeah. um so we we lived in 12 different cities over the 12 months of this year and Laura made uh, like vector art icons for each of the cities kind of featuring some key landmarks architectural land- I mean you should maybe you should talk yeah. about exactly how you thought through yeah like what how did you come up with the aesthetic for the yearbook and and deciding oh, I'm gonna do these icons are gonna look like this yeah well I I knew I wanted to do some sort of like icon 
visual because photos are just so, they're just so impersonal. I feel like, um, you could, you could have gotten them from Google images or something and icons. I wanted it to be a little bit more unique and more catered to like us and our experience. And so with the icons, I showed, uh, a typical landmark for the city. So it was like a quick icon visual to show what that's where that city was but then I would try and throw in something unique to our experience like so for Cusco I threw in a little alpaca <laughs> or a little llama and like a rainbow because we saw many so many awesome rainbows and then in La Paz I did the 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 little telephonica the what is that thing called the oh, like the gondola the thing? gondola thing okay yeah yeah I can't remember I the name of that place called. yeah um so little details like that or like Copenhagen, I threw, we were on a beach and we were just on an island the whole time. Um, and tuk-tuks for Phnom Penh and Ho Chi Minh. So just little details that I thought everyone would like appreciate later on. Um, and I wanted it to be like a quick read of the 12 cities that we went to. Plus it's nice because unlike a photo where, I mean, got a picture of like La Paz versus London versus Copenhagen, like, they not really so, look alike. Right. But the icons have, like, an, a, that cohesive visual style yeah, yeah. that I think really makes it it look really nice. And then and then you have that kind of, like, wayfinding. Like, through the yearbook, you know what you're working with because if you see that icon, like, now you know you're in this country. Or, right, right. Or, and it was color. Little, yeah, so it was a little color-coded. So, like, um, all of our South American countries were red. Um, Europe was yellow and... Uh, Southeast Asia was green, so yeah, it was it was helpful in the yearbook to know like kind of where you were, um, what you were looking at, um, and yeah, it was really it was really fun to work on. In terms of the layout, I just I wanted to keep it um, like really clean, lots of white space, um, bright colors though, which I I love how the color scheme turned out. It's kind mm -hmm. of like a really bright red, yellow, green, purple situation going on. It's cool. Um, and almost like magazine-y looking. Yeah, it has something, a very editorial. Yeah, something more easy to read rather than just like a ton of like numbers and copy, you know, something more easy to digest. Yeah, we had the um, pages like things we lost or packing tips yeah. or uh, whatever. Some of those other like we, we did a huge survey. We had yeah. a huge survey that we had everybody do. It took like. 90 minutes at least because we were filling out things about ourselves. We were filling out like our favorite and least favorite places and things about each city, yeah. like where we like to eat, where we liked to party, where we like to work. Um, you know, everyone was contributing photos for the collage pages. Um, so we had like, a, we got a ton of data back from the group that we then had different people assigned mm -hmm. to like summarize the data, pull out what should go on the page with that theme. And then, we would kind of lay it out and then Laura made a bunch of nice little custom icons. So, you know, on the packing page and we're like, bring slippers. And it's like, yeah, little, little slippers, slippers icon. <laughs> yeah. Just seeing, again, it's just like a quick visual. So when you're on the traveling page and you're looking at travel tips, it's like, oh my God, there's some socks. Cause you, you got to pack enough underwear. And yeah. There's a, it's a later hosen cause somebody packed a later hosen <laughs> for the entire year. Stuff like that. Um, I, the thing that just blew my mind was like the around the globe page where it just shows the breadth of like how mm. how much we how far we reached in the globe. I mean, what was the country count? The total country? I think count? the total was something like 83. It was 12 yeah. remote cities plus 
71 other places that that people went to between the entire group, right. like everywhere. Outside of those cities, yeah. And, and your map was really neat because I, it, it followed the color, the color scheme. So we had whatever, like red, yellow, green. And then you had like the darkest colored countries were ones that we were in with the remote year. And then lighter levels, depending right. on how many people had gone to also been to Germany or right. also been to Argentina or, yeah. or Brazil or something. Right. Um, and so that map was a really cool way to see not only where we touched, but really quickly you get a sense of like, oh, like a handful of people ended up in Paris and like a ton of people went to yeah. Amsterdam, yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and it was just cool to see, like, we didn't just go to these 12 countries. Like, we almost, we touched a lot of this world in this one year. And that was just something really cool to to bring to life and show and and represent on, on like, a really cool infographic style map. Because, um, I again, the whole process of this yearbook, when I was laying out that outline at the beginning, was just, like, what, what information is going to be really cool to look back on 15, 20 years from now, you know, and that's, that's where like the in memoriam page came up. Like that's going to be hilarious 20 years from now when you're like, Oh my God, we lost how many cell phones? <laughs> I mean, cell phones might not even exist in 20 years, <laughs> who knows? But just stuff like that, um, which is really, or like to see what our favorite bars were in each city or what our favorite, um, like side trips were. Um, cause a lot of that stuff will get forgotten Right. And when you look back on it and how many years, it's just really kind of cool to look, to see and remember. And it answers so many questions people ask about the trip. Like, right. not that you're going to show the, the yearbook, but we will have a, a PDF digital version for everybody. And so when we go home to our families and friends, like, you can take, you know, 20, 30 minutes maybe, pull up the yearbook, go through relevant pages that other people might care to see. Right. Um, and, and really show them very quickly something that, like, my dad wants to know, but he's not going to listen to me just say. Yeah. Um, and, and when you were talking about it earlier, that's one part of the process I think is really good to talk about is, so you kind of came up with this idea, oh, we should do a yearbook. Mm-hmm. And then... I mean, we first started meeting about it in KO, which was month nine. So that's four months out from the end. Um, and you created a Google Doc where you you made all the sections you thought we should have and kind of some initial notes of, like, this is basically what I think is going to go in here. Mm-hmm. And I think you already had it separated maybe by copy and design, but maybe that was added later in terms yeah. of content-wise, here's what's going to go. Aesthetic-wise, yeah. here's roughly how it's going to look. Yeah, I think it was more like overarching what the thought. But I thought the page should include. Right. And then we had a meeting of maybe whoever wanted to come. I think probably like 10 people showed up at the the various meetings to say, okay, well, here's our initial feedback. Here's what we're willing to do. And so that initial Google Doc that we all were able to contribute to then became two or three people used that to create a survey to ask everybody Mm -hmm. all the questions. Like, what do we need to find out from the group? Like, what are things we can't just dictate on our own? Right. Because pretty much everything in the yearbook was crowdsourced from our community. Right. Um, so you, we had to have a couple of people focus on writing the survey, making sure the questions on the survey made sense mm-hmm. so that we got, you know, because I feel like there were a couple of places later where like, oh, we didn't ask that question the right way. Right. Like, yeah. You know, and like that's a super important thing yeah. to learn. Like, um, you know, you can you can do a survey, you can ask for something, but like if you ask it a certain way, like you're going to get a certain answer. Yeah. And like who knows if that's helpful or not. Right. Um, and then, yeah, we had like the end result spreadsheet from that, that we even had to like organize yeah. and pull out. And then you planned 
the content and design for each page. And then that moved in. And, and so it's just like this whole creative process, which ends up with this beautiful finished yearbook that I'm sure people look at now and can't imagine being any other way, but it could have been a lot of other ways. Right. It could have just been a bunch of collage pages. Yeah. You know? And like, it could have looked like anything. Um, and I'm sure that that process is relatively similar to what you do with your clients, depending mm -hmm. on like what level they come, they come to you with. Right. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons like Lauren Holm is another person from our group who is teaching an online course on, um, passion to paid and is doing like side projects, turning them into, into paid things. And I think that's one of the benefits of these side projects mm -hmm. that you work on because you get to practice your process and right. you get to really think through like every single side of something from both the client and the creative side. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it's such a valuable thing for people to do Yeah, because like you're so invested in like doing it well and, and really thinking it through. And if somebody asks you later, like, Oh, like, how do I do that? Or how did mm -hmm. you do that? Like, you really know. Right. Yeah, I absolutely would not have been able to do this project if I hadn't had the previous experience that I've had, knowing other processes, picking out parts of processes that I appreciated or didn't, and tossing out the ones I didn't. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I. It, this was like a culmination of, like, everything I've learned, you know, <laughs> in my creative career. Um and it was just, it was super fun to work with. And I could not have done it without a lot of people's help. Catherine wrote a lot of things. She designed all the bio pages, which was super awesome. Marianne did the survey results, which I would have been like, uh, Excel, what? Like, <laughs> could not have done it. She's a statistician. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was, just, it was cool to see everyone's uh, different, unique talents kind of come forth. Like you said, Marianne's a statistician, so she like rocked it on the on the data part. And um, Martin Tritico sorted out a ton of photos yeah. and like ranged them based on like whether they were good to use, right. like made sure everybody was included, yeah. like how what were the categories they needed to go in. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it was a very cool collaborative project, I think. Mm -hmm. So it was not only great to have a yearbook, but I think for those of us that worked on it, um, it was like a neat community activity that, yeah. that we got to do together. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. I'm excited to show, put it on my website yeah. when it's all done. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great portfolio piece too yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Since our interview in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam, Laura moved to Columbus, Ohio with her partner, Jesse, for Jesse's new job at BrewDog. They've enjoyed exploring this growing Midwest city and are meeting some incredible creative people along the way. Laura is still doing freelance work and is building up Laha Design. She has gained a few new clients this year, including a gig with Remote Ear. Another exciting update is the creation of Drumpfcard. The idea for Drumpfcard came after a conversation they had with a Trump supporter. They asked why they liked Trump so much, and all they kept saying was, well, he's a great businessman, but couldn't back it up with anything else. They got really frustrated and realized that a lot of supporters only have these one-liner reasons why they like him, without any actual information to support it. They liked the image that Trump had created for them. So they thought it would be cool to have something that had a quick fact to rebut these statements. A one-upper to the one-liner. A Trump card. But instead of giving his name any more credit than it deserved, they decided to call it Drumpf Card, playing off last week tonight's bit about Trump's name actually being Drumpf. They wrote and designed 52 Drumpf Cards. 
Each card is a shareable meme that can be posted on the internet. There are also a deck of 52 playing cards that are for sale on drumpcard.com. We'll link to it in this episode's show notes on our website, and you should definitely check it out for the Drump lovers in your life or the people who are ready to debate them. For more information or to subscribe to our newsletter, please go to our website at modernworkpodcast.com. This is a passion project that is self-funded with support by listeners and friends via Patreon. Visit modernworkpodcast.com to learn more about how to contribute. Thank you for listening and please share.